Hey, Radiant family, welcome back. We are continuing our series through the book of Galatians. We're looking at chapter 3 today. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 3. As you're turning there, I want to tell you a story about me growing up. Um, it might be shocking to you, but I did not grow up a good kid. Um, I actually got in trouble all the time. It was actually until my first year of college that I became a believer. And so most of my high school and middle school days, I was just this rebellious, outrageous kid who did crazy things. Um, oftentimes when my, my mom would catch me doing something or find out about something later, she would oftentimes like kind of sit me down in the room and in her anger and frustration, just kind of ask me these questions. You know, Why would you do that? What did you think you were doing? Did you not think you would get caught? And as I was, I was being asked these questions as a child, I realized there's really no good response. If I don't answer the question, now all of a sudden I'm ignoring her and I'm liable to get hit with something. If I do answer the question, you're not going to like the answer. And the answer is going to make you more mad. And so in this moment of being just confronted with questions, there really is no good answer because these questions aren't just questions, they're statements. Um, that's actually what Paul is doing in Galatians chapter 3 in the first five verses specifically. He's going to ask some questions and this is a heated moment for Paul. This is a heated conversation he's having through the pen to the Galatians. And these questions aren't meant to just be answered. They're more rhetorical. He's more saying something than asking something in these questions. He's going to ask five different questions in these five verses. And this is going to set the tone for where Paul is going today. You see Paul's point in Galatians chapter 3 is that we are saved by faith alone. And he had planted this church. He had taught them about the power and the hope that we have in Jesus. But after he had left, he felt like the Galatians were quickly wandering away from this truth. And as any parent would lovingly confront and rebuke their child, Paul, as a parent pastorally to this congregation, is correcting and rebuking the Galatians, asking them, them some questions, not so they could answer, but that they could be confronted with the truth. So let's look at Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 and see how these questions not only confront the Galatians, but also might confront us in our hearts. Verses 1 through 5 says this, You foolish Galatians, starting off like many of our conversations with me and my mother started off, who has cast a spell on you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning in the spirit? Are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing. So then does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Do you hear the passion in Paul's voice? Do you hear the frustration and the, the, the anger that comes from love being poured out in these words? You see, Paul knows that the urgency of this situation, this isn't the Galatians were just a little off on a little thing. No, they were mistaking the actual truth of the gospel, of what Jesus did and how we are to live in light of it. And so he was asking these questions because they were urgently important. And we see five points being made here in each verse. We see in the chapter three, verse one, that he preached Jesus to them clearly. He says, who has cast a spell on you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, that verse is not saying that the Galatians actually saw the crucifixion of Jesus. Matter of fact, most likely they did not. What Paul is saying that when I was there with you, we find the story in Acts chapter 13 and following, that when he was there preaching to them, that he made the crucifixion and the person and work of Jesus so clear, it was as if he was holding up a sign with Jesus on a cross. He's saying that I made this explicitly clear. And now, who has cast a spell on you? I preached Jesus to you. 
In verse two, he asks again, I only want to learn this thing from you. In, in modern day language, I only got one question for you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Here, Paul is not just talking about his preaching of Jesus, but the presence of the spirit. Did you get saved because you were good enough? That's a question for both you and me. Did you start your faith journey because you got it all together? Think about the moment that you were saved. Think about the moment that God saved you. Were you at a place of perfectness and righteousness and perfection or were you at your lowest or were you lost in your sin? Paul is saying, were you initiated into the faith with the presence of the spirit by your perfection or by your faith? Verse three, are you so foolish? After beginning by the spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? So after we were saved and, and filled with the spirit and that moment, are we now, is it now up to us to continue saving ourselves? No, Paul is saying, are you now being made perfect by the spirit, by their keeping of the law or your faith? See, not only are we saved by grace through faith, but now we continue in this daily life by grace through faith, by the power of the spirit. And so he's asking you and I in this moment, how do we live our daily lives as Christians? Is it by keeping the law and doing the right things and hoping by doing enough things we're accepted by God? Or is it living day by day by faith? Chapter three, verse four. The next question. Did you experience so much for nothing? And that word experience, the NIV and the ESV translate that a little bit better, where it says not just experience, but suffer. Did you suffer so much for nothing? Paul is inviting both you and I, as well as the Galatian readers, to go back into their memory and look at their past suffering, all the things that they had been through. Did they go through all of that for nothing? You see, there is a suffering element to the Christian life because we stand on the word of God. We pursue holiness and righteousness. And so that puts us at odds with the world. And even when Paul was preaching in the book of Acts, we see that he suffered to bring the gospel to the Galatians. And surely the Galatians suffered afterwards. And surely you and I, as we try to live holy lives, we can't do what our, some of our co-workers do. We can't do what some of our classmates do. We choose to love our husbands and our wives differently than our unbelieving friends do. And so that brings a moment of sacrifice. And Paul is asking, did you go through all of that for nothing? Was all of that just so that you could one day abandon the faith that held you tight in those moments and now be keeping the law? And the last question that Paul not just asked, but confronts us with in verse five says, So then, does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard by faith? And so the power that you see at work in your life, the miracles the answered prayers, all the times you've seen God come through. Did he come through because you were good enough? Because you kept enough of the rules? Because you earned it? Because you deserved it? Or was it because you did not earn it? You did not deserve it, but you had a faith in Jesus and out of his kindness and grace, God worked powerfully in your life, in my life. And so Paul's asking these five questions that he says that he preached Jesus that the presence of the Spirit came through faith. We are being made perfect by the Spirit through faith. The past sufferings we went through we was met by faith, and the power that we experience in our lives are all because of our faith. None of that is by keeping of the law. In these first five verses, Paul is making an appeal to our experience. 
He's going to get to the, the word in just a moment. He has a celebrity endorsement coming up in just a moment in these next few verses. But first, he begins by asking them, look at your own experience. And so, dear brother, dear sister, look at your own experience in faith and ask yourself, has God been good to you because you earned it? Has God been good to you because you deserve it? Has God come through for you because you kept all the rules and you did all the right things? You never got too stressed out or too worried or too fearful. You read your Bible, you prayed, you shared the gospel, you did all the things. Is that why God moves in your life? Or is it because of Jesus on your behalf and your faith in him and is his perfection and in his righteousness. And so the first appeal Paul makes to remind us of the hope of the good news is appealing to our own circumstances, to our own lives, that we would look back and remember that God has been good even when we have been bad. God has been faithful even when we have been unfaithful. And so Paul reminds the Galatians and is reminding us to look back into the, the times before to see that God has been good to us. And it's not because we have been good. It's not because we have done the right thing. It's because he is good. It's because of our faith in Jesus. But Paul is still building his case that the, that the righteous will live by faith and by faith alone and not by keeping the law. So he started with our experience. Now he's going to a celebrity endorsement. Now I say celebrity, but for the Jews of this time, there was no bigger star than Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jews and the pinnacle of faith. One quote from a Jewish rabbi and teacher says that Abraham was the great father of a multitude of nations and no one has been found like him in glory. He kept the law of the Most High and entered into a covenant with him. He certified the covenant in his flesh and when he was tested, he proved faithful. Now, for the Jews at the time, they looked to Abraham because he seemed to have kept the law more than anyone else. He was found faithful. He was, there is no one like him in all of glory. He kept the law of the most high. But is that true? Is Abraham's example to us that we should keep the law and therefore be accepted by God? Paul is going to address this head on in verses six through nine. Read with me. It says, just like Abraham, who what? Believed God and it was credited to him righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. You see, Paul wanted to be very clear here that Abraham was the great patriarch, not because he kept the law, but because he had faith. As a matter of fact, Abraham was declared righteous before there was even a law to keep. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 says this clearly, that Abraham believed, Abraham believed the Lord and he, God, credited it to him as righteousness. You see, it was Abraham's faith. And this statement is made 430 years before the law. This is 29 years before the sacrifice of Isaac, before Abraham had done these great moments of faith that we look back to before any of that. It says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him righteousness. And that is what Paul is saying, that the true sons of Abraham aren't those who are born under the certain tribes, aren't those who are circumcised of the flesh, aren't those who keep the laws. See, the true sons of Abraham, the true daughters of Abraham, those who inherit the promise that was given to Abraham are those who become sons through faith, daughters 
through faith. You see, the law was never meant to save. The law was to meet to point to our need for a savior. And Abraham, before the law was given, believed God had faith. And that is what justified him. It was a faith that God is who he said he is. And so Paul is pointing to Abraham as the celebrity endorsement to say that even Abraham, the man that you revere so much, the man that you look up to so much, even he believed God. And it was his faith that made him righteous. It wasn't his works. Paul is not done yet. He's appealed to our experiences. He's brought in a celebrity endorsement. But now he's going to make it plain that Jesus has canceled the curse by pulling the scriptures. Galatians chapter 3 verses 10 through 14. Would you read with these with me? For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written. Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now, it is clear that no one is justified by God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is anyone who hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, don't get lost in the, the complexity of what Paul is saying, because actually what he's saying is very simple. He's saying the righteous will live by faith. And if you want to live under the law, then you are under a curse. See, he's appealed to our experiences. He's brought in the celebrity endorsement. And now Paul is going to use the scriptures, the very foundation of truth to prove his point. In every single line that Paul says in verses 10 through 14, he's going to quote or refer to an Old Testament passage. In verse 10, he refers to Deuteronomy 27, 6, which talks about the curse of the law. In verse 11, he's going to refer to Habakkuk 2, verse 4, which says the righteous shall live by faith. In verse 12, he refers to Leviticus 18.5, which says that if you obey the law, you will live, which sounds like a promise, but it's not. In verse 13, he refers to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, that talks about the curse for anyone who is hung on a tree, Jesus on the cross. In verse 14, he refers to Joel chapter 2, verse 28, which talks about that God will pour out his spirit on all peoples. You see, the reason he's using so much scripture is because that is the ultimate foundation and source of truth. You see, he appealed to our experience and our experiences are helpful in showing us who God is, but not conclusive. The celebrity endorsement of Abraham and the history of the patriarchs and matriarchs that have gone before us in the faith can be helpful, but it's not conclusive. You see, only the word of God has the final say on the very nature of salvation, on the very nature of our belief and our hope. And so Paul is using the word of God to not just ask questions or appeal to history, but now he's saying definitively, this is what it is. So what is it, Paul? What is it, Holy Word of God? And it's really, really simple. In verse 11, it says that the righteous will live by faith. You see, the law brings a curse. And there are some even today that look at the Old Testament passages like Leviticus 18.5 that says, if you obey the law, you will live. They look at passages like that in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, and they say there is promises by keeping the law. And so if only we would do these things, then God would accept us. But see, the law was not given so that we could be accepted by God. The law was given so that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that we need someone to save us because we cannot save ourselves. 
You see, the promise that says if you obey the law, you will live is not a statement of fact. It's more of a dare. Try it if you want. Try to keep the law if you want. Try to obey all the commands of God if you can, and you'll quickly find out that you can not. Let me prove it to you simply. One of the greatest commands of the scripture is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Who has done that even one day of their lives? Who has loved God with everything, every moment of every day? You see, that one command all of us break every single day because we don't love God. We don't worship God as he ought to be. And so all of us, if we were living under the law, would be cursed, would be separated from God, both in this life and for eternity. But praise God, we have a savior. We have someone who actually did come and keep the law, someone who actually earned salvation, Jesus Christ. And he didn't earn just righteousness for himself, but he gave it to us. Theologians say imputed righteousness. He took off his righteousness and put it on those. And we receive his righteousness, his perfection, his acceptance, not by trying to copy him, but by putting our faith in him, Jesus. And so we get to Paul's point, which is blown up and made very clear in verse 14. The purpose of all of this, the purpose of the law, the purpose of Jesus coming and dying, the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Jesus Christ so that we could receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. You see, Christian, we receive all of God's promises through faith. And it's not just faith that matters, but it's faith in Jesus. Even our faith is not the object of our faith, but the object of our faith is Jesus. So don't even look to the sincerity of your faith for confidence. Look to the object of your faith for confidence. It's not do you have enough faith, it's do you have faith in the right person. It's not a matter of growing your faith, it's a matter of putting your faith in the right place in Jesus Christ. So what does this mean to us today? Other than bringing hope and life back to our very lives that say that we do not have to be good enough, but we can trust in Jesus. And that is what makes us accepted before God. But see, the controversy that Paul is addressing here, the claim of those called Judaizers is a little more subtle than this. You see, those that were trying to deceive the Galatians did not say don't believe in Jesus. They were okay with you putting your faith in Jesus. They just wanted to add something to it. They said, okay, now that you've trusted in Jesus, now get circumcised. Now obey the Old Testament law with the feasts and festivals. Now do all of these things, and these two things together will make you safe. And Paul's addressing that. He says in verse 12 clearly that the law is not based on faith. That means the law and faith are incompatible. They cannot coexist. You can't have both faith and law. You must have one or the other. If you choose the law, then you will live by the law and be under the curse of the law. But if you choose faith, then you reject the law and the curse and are freed from that because of the work of Jesus Christ. But that subtle distinction of law and faith still persists in us today, does it not? One of the ways that we can apply the truth of this passage to our lives is by asking some very honest questions about our own faith in Jesus. Because I believe that the opposite of faith is not unbelief. The opposite of faith is pride. The opposite of faith is not unbelief. The opposite of faith is pride. You see, there's something about earning something that we all aspire to. 
even in my own life, I remember uh, when I went through boot camp as a, as a Marine, um, that last day, those, those few days of going through the crucible, this grueling test of endurance and, and, and working with others, and at the end of it, you stand in formation and you're finally presented with the Eagle, Globe, and Anchor, and you're finally a United States Marine. That's a moment of pride of accomplishment. And there's some things in this life that are good to feel proud about accomplishing, whether it be finishing a degree during a uh, pandemic, whether it be moving out, whether it be getting a new job. There's some things that we can do and that God gives us the opportunity to do that we should feel a sense of accomplishment over. But when it comes to salvation, any sense of accomplishment is deadly. Any sense of earning it is deadly. And so that's why faith and pride are opposites, because faith says I bring nothing to the table. There is no good thing in me. Faith says I am wholly and utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ for not only saving me, but preserving me day by day by the power of the Spirit. Where pride says, well, Jesus did most of it, but I brought something too. Well, Jesus got me started, but it's my theology that's going to carry me through. It's my belief system. It's my translation of the Bible. It's something other than what Jesus Christ did that I bring to the table that makes me feel safe and secure in my salvation. And so that's why we must be careful and ask ourselves oftentimes a question. What do we feel like we deserve from God? What do we feel like we have earned from God? What do we feel like God owes to us because of what we have brought to the table? We must root out any sense of deserving, any sense of pride when it comes to our relationship with God. And how do we know that we're operating in faith and not law? There should be an overwhelming, a pervasive sense of humility in our life. There should be a pervasive sense of humility in our life and our theology, in our practice, in our words, whether in person or online, that's how we know we're operating in faith because we know that we are utterly and totally dependent upon the work of Jesus. And so we don't look down on others who aren't where we are because we know we got where we are, not because of our striving, not because of our work, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So is there a sense of humility in your life? Is there a pervasive sense of humility in your words? Is there a pervasive sense of humility in your theology? Also, another way that we can know that we're operating out of faith and not law is how do we compare ourselves? Do we compare ourselves to the holy and living God and seek to be holy for he is holy by the power of the spirit? Or do we compare ourselves to others and either feel better than we should or more haughty, as the Bible says. We look down on other people. Why can't you just get it together is kind of the thought in the background of someone operating in law and not faith. Why can't you just do the right thing is operating in the background of the mind of someone who's operating by law and not faith. You see, when you realize that your maturity in Christ, your salvation, your progress, your family, every good thing in your life is a gift and that gift was given not because you earned it or deserved it, because the gift of faith in Jesus, when you realize that, that should affect how you treat one another. That should affect the patience that you have with one another. That should affect your prayer life. Rather than fighting with people online or in person, we should be praying for people online and in person. Because we know that unless God moves, we are stuck. Unless God changes us, we can't change ourselves. And so a very practical way that we know that we're operating out of faith, not law, is how we treat other people. Do we compare ourselves to them and judge them? 
Is there a sense of pride or superiority in our interactions with others? Or do we realize, like Paul is saying, that the righteous will live by faith and faith alone, and faith is the opposite of pride, and so we should be living lives that are submitted to God, but humble towards others. Before I close, let me say this. To the unbelievers who may be watching this right now, wherever you are, I want you to hear clearly that it is faith in Jesus that saves. It is faith in Jesus that saves, which means today is the day of salvation. Right where you are right now, you can be adopted into the family of God and inherit brothers and sisters around this world and one day see God face to face, not because you did it all right, not because you cleaned yourself up, not because you broke that addiction, not because you stopped doing this pattern and rhythm of sin, but because you right now can trust in Jesus and turn from your sin, put your faith in him and be saved today and on the last day. So I invite you right now, wherever you are, if you don't know that you know that you have Jesus Christ, would you reach out to us? Would you go to our website? Would you fill out a connect card? Would you text us or call us? Would you let us know how could we be praying for you because you can be given the gift of faith today and that's all that's necessary for salvation.